At this time, I'll ask you to kneel with me. Let's come before the Lord. Um, I think maybe we should test out the lapel mic here. Just turn these two mics off. Are they off? If the light's on, they're off. Testing one two. Can any can everyone hear me? Testing one two three. Check one two three. Father in heaven, we do thank you so very very much for this holy Sabbath day, for the chance that we have uh, today in the time we're living in, to still be able to come together openly. And, uh, Lord, to praise You, to worship together on the Holy Sabbath day, the seventh day. We know what's coming ahead. The prophecy lays out uh, that there will be a day, first day of the week, enforced by law, that coerced people to worship the mark of the beast. That is His mark. But today is the Holy Sabbath day of the Lord. And we've come together to worship and to praise You to learn the truth from Your Word, to encourage one another to good works and love. And so, Lord, we thank You so much that You made a day to spend with us. We pray that heavenly angels will be sent to abide with us this day as we rejoice together. And, Lord, we come before You and we praise You for Jesus. We praise You that You gave Your most awesome gift to mankind. We thank You, Lord, that You love us so much that You poured all heaven out in Jesus that we may have the opportunity to be saved. We come before You now, Lord. We pray that You forgive us our sins. We claim that blood that was shed at Calvary for our sins that we may be redeemed. We accept that most precious gift. Pray that You forgive us and, uh, Lord, abide with us. We ask for the Holy Spirit to be very present with us here as we study Your Holy Word that we may have discernment and wisdom and learn the truth, and come into gospel order, Lord, as we begin this, this study, this look at what you have to tell us about the order of heaven, the kingdom of God, and uh, that we may uh, bring glory to thy name and what we're doing here. Lord, I pray for those on our prayer request, the, those that are suffering illness, those who are... Uh, serving our country overseas, defending freedom. Lord, I pray for uh, Jerome, especially. It's hard to have a spouse who, who hasn't accepted Christ, so I pray for Jerome to be a witness to his children and to his wife. pray that the Holy Spirit and angels will move upon Andrea, upon her heart, that she'll come to see the truth and, and see love, the love of Jesus and that she can be forgiven. We pray for Roland and Susan's son, Christopher. He's in the Valley of Decision. I mean, he's, he's got the severe, severe issues. The devil's really fighting for his heart. So we pray that angels will surround him, keep him safe, that he may come to know thee, the true God. Father, please be with all our children. Say, Make choices that are that go against thy will, and maybe ignorantly so. 
Lord, we pray that you will send the Holy Spirit to convict their hearts, bring them back. We hold Proverbs 22.6 very close to our heart. Please be with the families and, and the marriages and the teachers and students in the school of Christ especially. Be with me as I bring the words to the flock today. Give me the words to speak. May they not be my words or opinions, but be the truth. Thank you, Lord, so much for hearing this prayer and answering it. In Jesus' name, amen. I've entitled this particular message, Restoring Order. This goes along with who and what the church is, our series that we've been doing for for a good while here now. We've learned a lot of good things, praise God. (laughs) And uh, we're going to find that uh, there is order in the kingdom of God, and there is order in His church. The church begins at home, we'll get into that in the coming weeks. But uh, The call, you see friends, of the fall of Babylon, and to come out of it, is a call from the Savior of mankind, isn't it? And this is something that we must realize in its totality, I think. That Jesus is calling His people to Himself so that He can have a pure and undefiled church. You know, as He is pure and undefiled. As the head of the true church, it is He who is calling for His lost sheep to separate, you see, from the fallen churches and follow His voice. Remember when I was first baptized? I was standing there in the baptismal tank and Pastor Don Short was baptizing me. He was my first pastor. You know, you you have a soft spot in your heart, do you not, for your first pastor or the pastor who baptized you? At least I do, friends. And I remember standing in that bas- baptismal tank, and I'm I'm standing there, and the pastor's speaking to me, you know, just before I'm to to be baptized. And uh, I looked at him and I said, I said I want to follow the truth wherever it leads me, as I believe Jesus is the truth, and I want to follow the truth wherever it leads me. And if this church goes contrary to the truth, I'm going to stay with the truth. And Pastor Short looked at me and he said, that sounds like a very good plan. Very interesting statement to make, but uh, yeah, it sounds like a plan, doesn't it friends? And here Jesus, he's making the call to come out of Babylon, he's calling his lost sheep to separate. And we want to follow his voice, do we not? Wherever it may lead. Do you want to follow Jesus wherever He may lead? We read in John chapter 10, verses 27-28, Jesus speaking, He says, My sheep hear My voice. My sheep hear My voice. And I know them. And they follow Me. 
And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Why? Because they are my sheep. They hear my voice, and they follow me. Now there are some really sincere people, friends, who are in Babylon, and they're hearing two voices. And this will not change until they heed the call of Christ or they grieve away the Holy Spirit. There's a voice that's telling people to stay right where they are, you see. For God will take the reins into His own hands. He'll restore Babylon to her once pristine position. You know, the professed church always believes that it's the true church and it'll go through to the end, you see. But there's another voice that is heard and it's the voice that calls sin by its right name. And it's it's calling people to come out of a system that breeds unrighteousness, you see. It breeds it. Now, please don't get me wrong, beloved. I, I judge no person as to their decisions, but we must be honest with the results of comparing the biblical character traits of God's true church to the church that uh, each one of us, the church that we currently um, are a member of or are associated with if we are to make a right decision, if we are going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be a member of His flock, His sheep. And I know by experience that leaving friends and loved ones and traditions um, our comfort zones and habits is not easy for anyone. In fact, the devil uses all of this to tempt us to stay in Babylon. But if our love for Jesus outweighs our love for self, we will have the courage, you see, to make the tough decisions so we may continue to follow Him in spirit and in truth. As I said, no matter where it leads us. Because you see, when you follow the truth of the gospel, you're following Jesus, and it's safe to follow Jesus wherever He leads us, isn't it? I've heard people say, look, I could never leave the church that I was brought up in and join another church. I could never change my denomination. I've heard people say that. And if you're of this kind of a mindset, I'd like you to consider some questions in this regard and just think about the answers. Just think about it. Think about these questions. If you and I had been living in the days of Jesus and had been brought up in the Conference Church of Israel, I'll refer to it as, and you wanted to stay in the truth and you wanted to be true to what the Bible taught and to what Jesus taught, what would you eventually have to do? What did you have to do if you were brought up in the conference church of Israel when Jesus came along and taught the truth? What did you have to do after the conference church of Israel stoned Stephen? Think about it. You eventually had to change your denomination, didn't you, if you wanted to follow Christ? Isn't that true? You see, beloved, being called out of a fallen church is nothing new. It's happened many times throughout the history of God's people. Sad to say. And so think about this. Think about that 
questions I asked you. Think about it. Every one of the disciples, friends, every one of them changed their denomination. You realize that? You see, they were brought up in the Conference Church of Israel, but they had to join the new Christian church. Why did they have to do that? Because that's where Jesus was. Isn't that true? Because that's where Jesus was. Every person that established the apostolic church at that time changed churches from the conference church of Israel to the church of the Messiah. The friends, there's nothing wrong with changing our church as long as we're marching and moving with God's truth. Isn't that? Isn't that right? Amen? Let me ask you this. If you had stayed in the conference church of Israel when Jesus came along, would you have stayed in the truth? No. You would have stayed in error. Because the conference church of Israel that was once the true church had fallen, it had become the apostate. Now I'm talking about here, friends, their principles, see? They went into apostasy. And they taught error that led people into the synagogue of Satan. And that's why Jesus organized a new church that, that was made up of those who followed Him. So we read there in John 10. So every sincere person who wanted to remain in the truth had to change their denomination from the church that was once God's church to the newly organized church with Christ as the head. Peter says in Acts chapter 3, we've read this many times before, verse 19, he said, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. But you didn't notice verse 21 there. Until the times of restitution of all things. What is Peter saying here? Peter is saying in this prophecy that Jesus is not going to come back to this earth until something happens. And that is the times of restitution of all things that the mouth of all His holy prophets has spoken. In other words, if you go right back to the beginning, right back there to the book of Genesis, all the way through the prophets coming forward, all of their teachings that have been lost and trampled down and buried are going to be restored before Jesus comes back. Christ is not going to come back until those teachings are restored. And how are these teachings to be restored? Ezekiel 34. Verse 11, it says, For thus, see, for thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. Verse 12, As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, 
so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. You see, all things are going to be put in place. Times of restitution of all things. God is seeking out His scattered sheep. He's bringing them together in order. so that He can pour out all things. Jesus is calling His scattered sheep to Himself, that, you see, so He can organize them into one body to do His will. And until this is done, Jesus cannot return. Until we come together, friends, in unity, till we come together in proper gospel order, we will remain inefficient in carrying out the gospel commission. And in fact we will hinder it so much that the return of our Lord is delayed. You know, it's being hindered right now, my friends, because we are all scattered about as independent atoms all over the world. And this has to change. If our generation is to be the generation that's alive when Jesus returns, it has to change. Now, beloved, I want to be alive when Jesus returns. What about you? We have this in Ezekiel, the Lord is going to bring us together. He's going to bring us together. And I hold to that promise. He's the one who seeks out the sheep. He's going to deliver us out of all places where we've been scattered. Some people get so discouraged when they are called out of their church that they give up their faith altogether. Isn't that sad? I've witnessed I've seen it. I've seen it too many times. It grieves my heart. I've seen it from people who've been very close to me. I see it all too often this day. It's remarkable. We have a shaking going on, friends. You know, one day a man came to to Charles Spurgeon, you know, that Baptist preacher. And he said, I don't like churches. There are too many hypocrites in them. And Spurgeon replied to this man, he said, don't worry, my friend, there's always room for one more. There's always room for one more. Some will obey the call of Jesus to to come out of their fallen church, but will say that organization itself is what caused the apostasy. So they remain, you see, independent of gospel order, and they teach others to do as they. So like this man to Charles Spurgeon, you see, they don't like churches either. <laughs> there are many cases like this. There was a man who refused to join our church in Battle Creek because he thought like this. Friends, if you do a, a, a study on the Advent movement, and you'll see step by step as God led them through time into becoming an organized body. But it took tremendous effort. It took a lot of time to organize the Adventist church. 
You see, because many believe that organization was what caused the church to become Babylon fallen, the church that they came out of, and so they were incredibly hesitant to have any kind of order. Let me share this with you. It's from Review and Herald. It's an article entitled Order and Organization, October 12th, 1905. The prophet says, to provide for the support of the ministry. Now, now please, friends, pay attention. Pay attention to these words, please. Why is organization and order necessary? Listen to what she says. To provide for the support of the ministry, for carrying the work in new fields, for protecting both the churches and the ministry from unworthy members for holding church property, for the publication of the truth through the press, and for many other objects, organization was indispensable. Yet the feeling against organization was very strong among our people. The Adventists generally, who had withdrawn from the churches of the various denominations under the call of the second angel's message to come out of Babylon, opposed organization, and many Seventh-day Adventists were fearful that church organization would bring us under condemnation. (laughs) You see? She says, We sought the Lord with earnest prayer that we might understand His will, and light was given to us by His Spirit that there must be order and thorough discipline in the church. That organization was essential. System and order are manifested in all the works of God throughout the universe. Order is the law of heaven. And it should be the law among God's people on the earth. It was a battle, friends. The three angels' message was given there in 1844. The call to come out. They came out of all these fallen denominations, but they didn't want to organize. They didn't want to have order. Now, you know, the pendulum kind of swings both ways, doesn't it? Some see the need for some organization, but would never think to go any further than the local home church. But is that what Jesus did with the apostles? Did it stop at the local level? Friends, we must think seriously about this. We have to think seriously about it. We must realize a couple of things. First, Jesus loves us so much that He wants to save us. And we should be overjoyed, friends, not discouraged, when He calls us to follow Him no matter where that may take us, even out of the church we belong to at the time. Why is it that we're so hesitant? If we are following Jesus, we should be overjoyed. Because He's not going to lead us astray. First thing we need to realize, that's trusting Jesus, isn't it? That's trusting Jesus. Second thing we need to realize, 
Our God is a God of order. And we need to come to grips with this fact and not fight against it. You see, remember what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 14.33. He said, for God is not the author of confusion. He's not the author of it. What's he the author of? Peace, as in all churches of the saints. Our God is the greatest organizer there is, and he cannot place his blessing upon confusion or disorganization. Everything that God has created is in perfect unison and order, sustained and governed by laws. The angels work in perfect unity and order. God will not endorse disunity or disorganization, beloved. Satan brought in disunity and disorganization and thus was, what, cast out of heaven. Perfect order. Now, of course, we're not going to start with perfect order, are we? But as we learn these principles, we apply these principles to ourselves, to our families, to the church, it ripples out. And then we will come into that unity that Jesus prayed for. We will be organized to receive the latter rain, the power to finish the work. I want to share this with you. It's from Christian Experience and Teachings, page 199. Angels work harmoniously. Perfect order characterizes all their movements. The more closely we imitate the harmony and order of the angelic host, the more successful will be the efforts of these heavenly agents in our behalf. If we see no necessity for harmonious action and are disorderly, undisciplined, and disorganized in our course of action, angels who are thoroughly organized and move in perfect order cannot work for us successfully. They turn away in grief, for they are not authorized to bless confusion, distraction, and disorganization. All who desire the cooperation of the heavenly messengers must work in unison with them. Notice this. Those who have the unction from on high will in all their efforts encourage order, discipline, and union of action, and then the angels of God can cooperate with them. But never... Never will these heavenly messengers place their endorsement upon irregularity, disorganization, and disorder. All these evils are the result of Satan's efforts to weaken our forces, to destroy our courage, and prevent successful action. So, My dear friends, gospel order must be restored among the people of God if we're going to finish the work of spreading the gospel to the world. Jesus came to our world, to His people, and was rejected by them. He brought order, and they rejected it. Friends, let's not be like they. Let's not be like they were. Let's see what Jesus let's see what Jesus did. He began his ministry, first calling and then organizing the apostles. Matthew chapter four. 
uh, verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Now, to those who maybe at first read such a thing, they think, wow, all he did was walk by and see these guys fishing and said, hey, follow me, and they all jumped out of their boats and followed him. It's kind of what it sounds like, isn't it? I mean, Jesus called Peter and Andrew, and according to Luke 5, same scenario here, there was also James and John there as they were all partners, you see, in, in fishing. He called them to become full-time disciples. And so henceforth they were to make it their full-time business to be learners in the school of Jesus. But they didn't make that decision rashly. And they didn't make that decision without knowing Jesus. <laughs> I mean, the decision to dissolve their successful partnership as fishermen for a higher partnership with Jesus as fisher of men was made, it was made instantly, but it was made intelligently. They didn't need any time to think things over at that point. No time to provide for the needs of their families. It's really rather interesting. It's a sermon in and of itself, friends. But I mean, all their lives they'd caught fish. Now think about this. All their lives these men caught fish which died as a result of capture. But from that moment on they were to catch men that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly, Jesus said. Anyway, like I'm saying, there's a sermon in, in that all of itself. But here Jesus is one of the first things that He did in His ministry was to call and organize the apostles, the disciples here. And another example, Matthew 9 and verse 9. As Jesus passed forth from thence, He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and He saith unto him, Follow me. And He arose and followed him. Now this is an interesting calling, you know. The the Peter and Andrew and James and John, they were fishermen, but but Matthew, he was what? He was a a tax collector. He was a publican. But you know, in his heart there must have already been a longing to follow Christ. If you read in Luke 5, Luke adds that Matthew left all in order to follow Jesus. He left a profitable business to serve without pay. Isn't that remarkable? But what was Jesus doing here? He was organized, calling and organizing, wasn't He? 
Just as Moses and David and Nehemiah before, Jesus organized a small nucleus of faithful first to help with the greater task of evangelism, organization, training, spreading the gospel. Notice this from Acts of the Apostles, page 9. The church is God's appointed agency. Now friends, I've read this many times. I've brought it to your attention many times before. It's very appropriate. The church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. It's His appointed agency. It was organized for what? Service, she says. The church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. It was organized for service. And its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. From the beginning it has been God's plan that through His church shall be reflected to the world His fullness and His sufficiency. The members of the church, those whom He has called out of darkness into His marvelous light. Who are the members of His church? Those who are called out of darkness into His marvelous light are to show forth His glory. The church is the repository of the riches of the grace of Christ. And through the church will eventually be made manifest, even to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, the final and full display of what? The love of God. And Jesus said, By this shall all the world know that you are my disciples. You have love one for another. That's not this love that we see in worldliness, this sentimental type of love. Sagape, charity, a brotherly love, one for another. Again, Acts of the Apostles, page 91. The organization of the church at Jerusalem was to serve as a model for the organization of churches in every other place where messengers of truth should win converts to the gospel. Sorry, friends, we got... We've got a pet issue right here. Anyway. This was a model. The organization of the church there at Jerusalem was to serve as a model for the organization of churches in every other place. So when we have converts to the gospel, what's to happen? They're not all just independent atoms that stay to themselves, are they? They're to be organized. Organized together. And why why was the church organized? Remember? It was organized for service. So we come together, not just to worship the Lord on the Sabbath day and then go do our own things. Right? We're to learn together in the school of Christ as a group. To be organized as a group, and there are principles and specifics that the Lord lays out we'll get into later on. But what was the model? The church of Jerusalem that Jesus organized here with His disciples. This was the model for the organization of churches everywhere. And this is called gospel order, beloved. When you hear me say gospel order, it's the good news of Jesus Christ and, and how orderly God is, and we do things decently and in order. That's gospel order. Pure gospel order is dictated by the Holy Spirit. Now what happens 
what happens many times is that man perverts gospel order and disorder is the result, and that can lead to a church becoming an apostate, to falling. It was once pure, but has become fallen. So, you know, what kind of army would be effective if it was disorderly and disorganized, right? Not one. I mean, even the devil is very organized, but not according to gospel order, although he does use some of the same principles. There are principles of order. The greatest difference in gospel order, Jesus is the head, not Satan. Now when the Lord brought Israel out of the bondage of Egypt, He gave Moses instructions on organization. Didn't He? You recall? He showed Moses, you see how structured and organized heaven is. And then He had Moses copy that same pattern with His his people. He just brought out of Egypt, right? He set up the sanctuary here and He placed the different tribes in a, a, a perfect order around it. And they were perfectly organized in gospel order. And friends, we, we, we can see this principle throughout the Scriptures. David said in Psalms 119 and verse 133, Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. You see, when Adam and Eve were placed in the garden to tend it, they were organized by God on how to tend that garden. But Eve wandered off, didn't she? She got out of order. And look what happened. And this is what happens if we we become out of order, you see. We open ourselves up to the temptations of Satan and we can fall. I remember our scripture reading for today, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. Paul said, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, don't misunderstand what Paul's saying. The word for division here that he uses, there'd be no divisions. It's the Greek word schismata. It's from the word schizo. <laughs> okay? But it means to, to rend or to split. I find it interesting that in Matthew 27 verse 51, schizo describes the rending of the veil of the temple. And that's what Paul's saying. Don't be like that. Rending of the veil. Divisions separate you from God, see, in, in essence. What causes the division? Sin. Now, Paul uses the word in a moral sense here, though, see, for dissension, division, with special reference to, well, he was addressing the church at Corinth. You know, they had this kind of party spirit. Our English word schism is derived from schisma. So, God wishes for us to be in perfect order. And this is what Paul is relaying. 
to be perfectly joined together. The Greek word used here is arkartatio, which means to mend. And I find it interesting, it means to mend, uh, and the example given is as a torn fishing net. (laughs) Now if any of you uh, have had to mend a net, I mean, I've never had, but I've seen it before, and it, it's very methodical. You have to, there are no shortcuts. It takes some time, it takes effort. And so, I think it's a rather appropriate example. <laughs> you know, To men, we must have the same frame of mind, and thus render the same opinion, or the same judgment. This is what uh, Paul is saying for us. We don't become robots. Right? We're not robots that are just programmed by God. He created us free moral agents to make decisions. Remember, Paul reckons the church as a body. And like our human body, we have differing parts. But we're all organized together in complete unity. As he says in... 1 Corinthians 14.40 Let all things be done decently and in order. See? By the way, he says all things. And he means what he says. Let all things be done decently and in order. And Jesus gave us a great example of this principle. And, And... it's really remarkable. Sometimes, has this ever happened to you? you you're reading a scripture, you're reading maybe a, a gospel account, and there's information in there that's not maybe pertinent to the whole context, context of it. So you might miss some things. But as you go back through time and you read and read, different things pop out to you. And this is what happened to me here. I was studying this. Jesus gives a, a, a very good example to us of what Paul is putting forth. Let all things be done decently in order. You know, when, when Jesus was resurrected, do you realize that he took the time to fold the linens that he was buried with and he set them in order there in the tomb? Everything's to be done decently and in order. Remember, John and Peter saw this as they ran to the tomb after hearing of the resurrection. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 6. It says, Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. So see, you can, you can read right past that, can't you? The napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Now the prophet tells us in the book, The Desire of Ages, page 789, she talks about this. She says, The disciples hurried to the tomb and found it as Mary had said. They saw the shroud and the napkin, but they did not find their Lord. Yet even here, was testimony that he had risen. Why was it a testimony? The grave clothes, she said, were not thrown heedlessly aside, but carefully folded, each in a place by itself. 
It was Christ Himself who had placed those grave clothes with such care. When the mighty angel came down to the tomb, he was joined by another, who with his company had been keeping guard over the Lord's body. As the angel from heaven rolled away the stone, the other entered the tomb and unbound the wrappings from the body of Jesus. But it was the Savior's hand that folded each and laid it in its place. In His sight, who guides alike the star and the atom, there is nothing unimportant. Order and perfection are seen in all His work. And I think as the disciples came into the tomb and they saw this, they knew that their Savior was alive. And how did they know? They knew Jesus. They knew that nothing was unimportant to Him. They knew He was the one who folded those and laid them there. You know, if His body had been stolen away, you think those who took His body would have taken the time to fold those things? They had an inkling there. Our Savior has to be alive, but you know. Sometimes our... Our perceptions aren't clear. Of course, they were very emotional, you can imagine. What were they doing? They were hiding for fear of the Jews. But Jesus gives us an example of this principle that let all things be done decently and in order. Gospel order, friends, starts with the individual. You see? Just as salvation is an individual work, we must become organized and orderly in all that we do, as Jesus has shown us. There's nothing that's unimportant. He'd just been resurrected, and the first order of business was to take good care of His grave clothes. And when we have Christ living within, order and perfection will be seen in all our work, too. At home, and among the people of God. In the church, people will see this. And one of the things I found as I've traveled and I've spoken to historic Adventists, the historic movement, I'm truly amazed to find that many of the historic Adventists don't believe in being very organized outside of a local church. It's remarkable to me. And just by that, they imply that gospel order is every church kind of doing its own thing. But I've got to tell you, friends that this idea is not founded in Scriptures. It's a lie. It's a lie from the devil. Satan rejoices when he has the flocks of God separated into all these independent, you know, atoms doing their own things. Remember what the prophet had told us? Why order and organization was um, indispensable? You remember? It's in uh, Review and Herald, Order and Organization. To provide for the support of the ministry, for carrying the work in new fields, for protecting both the churches, that's plural, and the ministry from unworthy members, 
for holding church property, for the publication of the truth through the press, and for many other objects, organization was indispensable. Notice this from God's Amazing Grace, page 110. The Lord in His wisdom has arranged that by means of the close relationship that should be maintained by all believers, Christians shall be united to Christian and church to church. Thus the human instrumentality will be enabled to cooperate with the divine. Every agency will be subordinate to the Holy Spirit. What? See, that is where the problem comes in. Every agency will be subordinate to the Holy Spirit. Like I said, when we get out of order, or we pervert it, we put ourselves on Satan's ground, friends, just like Peter did when he followed Jesus there to the trial. He left the presence of the Lord and stepped on the devil's ground. She says, Every agency will be subordinate to the Holy Spirit. And all the believers will be united in an organized and well-directed effort to give to the world the glad tidings of the grace of God. Some have advanced the thought that as we near the close of time, are we near the close of time, friends? Every child of God will act independently of any religious organization. But I have been instructed by the Lord. This isn't her opinion. She was told, instructed by the Lord, that in this work there is no such thing as every man's being independent. In order that the Lord's work may advance healthfully and solidly, His people must draw together. It's very plain, friends. It's very plain. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. Remember, it says one of the reasons for organization is to protect the churches from unworthy members, remember? Remember we studied how, how we are to deal with sin in the church? Remember that? Remember the example we looked at there, Matthew chapter 18? Let me read it again, verse 15 to 17. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Remember we went through and we, we broke this down. Now let me, let me tell you, it would be impossible to bring an offender's case before the church unless the church was organized. You couldn't bring a a believer's problem to the church unless you knew who the church was, and this is a serious problem we find ourselves in today, friends. Because of the lack of true order, we see every wind of doctrine introduced among the people. Fanaticism is, is rampant. We see local members that have been correctly disfellowshipped by one church, according to Matthew 18, being accepted as a member in, a, in good standing in another church, that was in that is within the movement. There's no true discipline, no real security, for we're scattered about as independent atoms, just as the devil would want. 
There is a remedy for this. You see, friends, God's not leading a host of freelancers. Is He? His plan is to organize believers into a body called the church, which is to be a very real organization, and is Christ's army, the church militant, to lead forth to conquer the world for Jesus. Amen? Seriously, what can any of us accomplish on our own? Very little. But when we're joined together and we're organized, then we become a mighty army. Isn't that right? And we can do great things for God. I think I shared this with you before one time. There was, there's a story of a man who, who could really use a horse whip. He was so good with the whip that he could actually flick a bee off a flower with his whip. And one day he and a friend were out riding in his buggy and he was flicking the bees off the flowers as they went past. And as they rounded one of the corners, they noticed a whole hive of bees in a tree. And his friend suggested that he try flicking the bees in the trees. Oh no, he he replied. Those bees are organized. And if you know anything about bees... One bee on its own is no problem, except for somebody like me. I'm allergic to the sting. But they're no problem. But you get bees together and you annoy them, and you're in for big trouble. I remember my little brother and I, we were at our cousin's place down in southern Indiana, and we were out messing around back behind the barn. There's an old, old car. And we were playing around in it, and we wanted to get in the trunk. But the trunk was kind of stuck, and we were banging on that trunk. Finally, we popped that trunk open, and it's one huge wasp's nest in the whole trunk. And, and there were thousands. Thousands. Never seen anything like it before or since. And it's like every one of the wasps turned their heads and looked at us. And then they lit out after us. All of them. And we were screaming and hollering all the way to the house. They were just stinging us like crazy. They were organized. That's a nature lesson on organization. (laughs) One person here and there is no problem for the devil, friends. But when we become organized, we come together. We become a mighty army. And that's what God has in mind for His people. Being independent on our own, we're almost useless. You know? Divorced from organization and unity will accomplish little good. But united together, we become a mighty force for God. The real danger of disorganization and and a lack of divine order is that it will steal away your first love. And the fire you once had will go out. I mean, how many of you like to sit by a campfire? Yeah. It's nice, isn't it? It's nice. Have you ever noticed that a red-hot coal in the fire will continue to burn brightly and provide heat as long as it remains in the fire? Take that red hot coal out of the fire and put it out on its own and what ha- what happens to it? Have you ever noticed? It'll go cold a lot faster on its own, won't it? That's what happens when people separate themselves from apostasy but don't come into unity with like believers and organize together as God would have us according to gospel order. They may be red hot in the faith but if they don't organize upon God's plan it won't be very long before they lose their zealousness. You see, God has a message 
in these last days that that must go clear around the world to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. We'll read that. Revelation 14. And any one of us on our own can't perform that task, can we? We can... Now, friends, we can do only what we as individuals can do. But as we unite our efforts, as we unite our, our means, as we unite our, our uh, strength, our labors in organization, we are able to take this message to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And when we make converts, the Word of God says that they're added to the church. But does it end there? Does their walk end there? Is that all that is to happen? Acts 2.47 And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. When these people accepted Christ and they were baptized, the Bible says that they were added to the church. Why is that? For church membership, friends, and salvation are linked together. And I'm speaking of of being a member in Christ's church. Not joining an organization per se. See what I mean? The whole purpose of church membership is to assist others in salvation. We read that. The church was organized for service, to do the service of Christ, to save souls. In order to accomplish this, we must be organized into local churches and groups for service in local communities and outward to the world. Church united to church. Remember, we read that before. Hebrews 10 verse 24 says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Friends, this is not just talking about individuals assembling with the other individuals. This is also talking about all parts of the body, churches to church, Every flock that keeps His commandments and has the faith of Jesus. We must draw together, beloved, for until we do, until we become an organized body of believers, we'll never partake of the latter rain. We read, God cannot bless disorganization. If we don't partake of the latter rain, we'll never finish the work will never be the generation that hastens the Lord's return. Jesus, whose perfect character is the pattern of true organization. You know, for the commandments represent His character and these commandments give to us complete order in our existence in the universe. Friends, it's God's government. Jesus is waiting to bestow upon His body the power of the latter rain. And He cannot do this until we have partaken of the early rain. Isn't that true? And part of that early rain experience is learning the principles of organization of doing all things decently and in order. Testimonies for the Church, page 214. I'm not sure which volume this is. I'm sorry. I'll make a note of this. Somehow that got left off. It says, Not one of us will ever receive the seal of God while our characters have one spot or stain upon them. 
It is left with us to remedy the defects in our characters, to cleanse the soul temple of every defilement. Then the latter rain will fall upon us as the early rain fell upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost. So we have, we have to partake of that early rain. We have to learn these principles. We have to deal with our character, the stains upon them. That draws us closer together into unity with Christ and each other, friends. And then when we learn the principles of organization... Then the latter rain will fall upon us as the early rain fell upon the disciples. Let me ask you something. She says that specifically about the disciples. What had to happen before the power of God could fall upon the disciples? They had to be in complete unity and organized to carry forward the gospel. Look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 verse 12. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they were come in, they were they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotus and Judas the brother of James. Verse 14, no says, These all continued with what? One accord. Remember we talked about this a few weeks ago. In one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. Then if you look at Acts 2 and verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with what? One accord in one place. God has, friends, a restoration message in these last days according to Acts 3.20. And Jesus is not going to return till all the great truths that have been spoken of by the mouth of all the holy prophets are restored. He's going to have a generation of people that restore these. They stand in the breach. They uphold the law of God. And when we are in one accord and organized, just as the disciples, we will have the power of God poured out upon us, His church, to finish the work of restoration and hasten that day of His appearing. Isn't that what you want? Do you want to see Jesus? Sooner rather than later? All friends, I hope that you do. Daniel 12 verse 1 says, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even at that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered. Everyone that shall be found written in the book. Friends, let's accept Jesus. Let's learn the lessons in the early rain that we may come together in unity in order to receive the latter rain that we may work together to add names to the book. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this holy Sabbath day. We thank you, Father, that you are a God of order. We can trust that. Father, we pray that you'll pour out your Spirit upon all of us. Help us, Father. Give us, give us knowledge. Give us wisdom and, and intelligence to understand your principles. Principle of gospel order. We may come and look at Jesus. Always look to Jesus. Come into the unity of the faith. and Father, let you work in our lives as individuals, 
and our families that we can come into order. Our churches as it will ripple out as we will see as we study your, your inspired writings. We study the Word. Father, continue to be with us throughout this day as we contemplate the things that we've heard this morning from your Word. And may what we think and say and do bring glory to thy name. And may in everything that we do, there is no unimportant thing, that it will hasten the Lord's return. We pray in Jesus' name.